Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with Lou Weiss. Each year, Lou and I have done a wrap-up show for the current calendar year and, and an outlook for the 2022, in this case, year coming up. And this year, we have invited to join us Cliff Waldman. Cliff has uh, done a show, Manufacturing Matters, with Cliff Waldman and also Cliff Notes on our network, and we are certainly pleased to have him join us. He's an economist of some noteworthy, and he is known well across the industry and across the country, where he's done a number of presentations. So Cliff, thanks for joining us. Thank you, pleasure to be here. So Lou, we chatted with Cliff briefly as we prepared for this show, and there's a whole lot of subject matter to go over as we look into 2022. Um, so, you know, the kind of the first one up are the short-term economic and manufacturing outlooks for 2022. Cliff, what's the economy and what are the manufacturers presently facing and what's it look like in the early stages of 2022? Well, I don't think you're, our audience will be shocked to hear me say that once again, we are dealing with a very difficult situation with a very persistent pandemic. Another variant, more uncertainty, um, is going to slow the economy because uh, people there's going to be some amount of hesitation in all spheres of economic activity. It's going to worsen the inflation problem because it's going to create, if it's possible, it's going to create even more confusion and tangles along the supply chain. If there's a little bit of good news there, it seems to be that with every wave of this uh, very long pandemic, we seem to adapt a little better. It's so growth slows, things get things don't get hit quite as badly, but certainly we're, we continue to face a very difficult challenge with um, a truly historic pandemic. So that's that that's number one. That that really is the the, the, the number one issue, uh, tragically, unfortunately, uh, for the short term outlook. Second one's inflation. Now, inflation came early, uh, really started to hit the economy five, six months ago. Uh, supply chain tangles cause shortages, scarcity raises prices. At the same time, we were trying to juice the consumer who was hit very badly uh, by a terrible uh, shock in 2020, the, the onset of the pandemic. The combination of a very juiced consumer spending more money on goods than, than we have seen in a generation and supply chain tangles caused a structural inflation problem, but which could have been managed at that time. The problem is, is that inflation, if it's not managed quickly, it itself, it becomes a viral problem. It starts getting into economic psychology, to wage negotiations, into spending decisions. And we're at a point where it's, it's very difficult. So those two things, the, the, the unfortunate persistence of the pandemic and the, the worst inflation problem in a generation, almost 40 years, uh, are the two things that are going to be the big risks for, at, at the very least, you know, for the economic and the manufacturing outlook for the uh, the first half of 2022, I would say. Cliff, I'm going to make a statement that rarely comes to me because I'm usually on your side of the fence talking about more of the negative than the positive. Okay. And for whatever reason, I'm feeling really quite optimistic about 2022. Okay. 
and you're not the only one who's got the negative spin and the negative spin is justified you know inflation you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the supply chain the the boats the drivers to this to that the container all that stuff for whatever reason i'm feeling really quite confident because one of the numbers that i always watch closely is the backlog okay if my backlog goes up that goes against everything negative that anyone could ever say okay what's your, what's your thought on that yeah i well what, what it's the backlog i mean in in, in looking at uh, i always uh put on social media and, and discuss on the air uh, comments on the Institute for Supply Management survey as, as our network covers very, very well. And the backlog's important. What the, the backlog shows is the, the momentum of demand. And there's, there's no question, there's been absolutely no question that demand has been red hot. I, I don't think the demand for, I don't think any of us in our lifetimes has seen such hot demand for uh, for goods, and that's obviously a great thing. I'd rather thing. The problem is, and, and that that means that you know we will we have a, a fire under the belly of manufacturing that is is gonna maybe help help us to get over it. Risks are not, uh, you know, default. Risks are not the end of the world. They're just risks uh, that help us get over it. The problem is with such high demand. There's no question about the, the supply chain tangle either. The uh, supplier delivery, the, the, uh, the number in the ISM um, survey that uh, reflects supplier delivery, slowing supplier deliveries and that's a worsening supply chain has also been at, at a, uh, a generational high point. So we have lots and lots of demand. We're having a lot of very hard time of meeting that demand. I agree with you, but I think the bigger picture is still difficult. I agree. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I'm talking about backlog is that we're finding that clients mm. of All Metals and Forge Group, which is a supplier of industrial metal right. forgings, which is a, a base product for uh, manufacturing or a good part of manufacturing, is that customers are now not just buying for next month they're buying for the next three months the, ne the next six months the next year so all of that goes into the backlog right and my backlog is very strong and a lot of my uh, competitors and a lot of my manufacturing clients are saying the same thing that customers are getting into the habit because of um, a supply chain, the boating, the logistics and drivers and right. containers and all of that stuff. They better get it on the books now or they're never getting it. That's, that's understandable. It's, it's the same thing. It, it's, it, the parallel situation is what consumers do in the supermarket when a storm is coming. They stock they up. So there, uh, you know, uh, producers are stocking up on stocks because we are having a supply chain storm and a bad one. Um, the problem is, is in doing so, they are probably making it in total. They're probably making the, the the stress in the supply system, which is still in a tangle, all the worse. 
this it's not going to go on forever. This is going to work itself out. I mean, the one thing the one thing that I think we've learned is how complicated the world supply systems are. Uh, you know, we keep referring to it as a supply chain. That that's a less than adequate term. These it's more of a supply system because uh, along the, along the chain that we keep talking about, there are clusters. Um, you know, economies that are sort of mini economies along. The, you know, sometimes one small manufacturer will have five supply links running through it. So it, it's really more of a supply system than a supply chain. And it, the, the problem is, is that in, it, in its complexity, it's all interlinked these days, more than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. So a few kinks multiply themselves, propagate themselves throughout the system very quickly. We will straighten this out. This will straighten out. There's no reason to think it won't. But we're current, uh, currently, we're still facing a big challenge with, with making the, what we need to meet that red hot backlog demand that you're talking about. I don't know if you uh, recall back maybe two or three years ago, there was a, there was a video that went viral where it was a snowstorm, a man comes running out of his house and he's yelling and screaming, oh, I gotta get milk, I gotta get bread, I gotta get milk, I gotta get bread. Gets in his car and drives away because the supply chain three years ago was the same as it is right now. We gotta get our supply of milk and bread so we don't have to put up with a very bad wintry snowstorm. Right. So, you know, you're right. Uh, this is a, a very challenging time that we're going to be in. But I, I, I believe, based on what we've been hearing from economists such as yourself, uh, ISM uh, uh, and others, that um, with all, all the stuff that's really bad, it's going to turn out okay. It's, you know, sometimes the darkest times, I mean, one thing we've learned about the history of, great, of the Great Depression of the 1930s, certainly one of our, the bleakest periods, second, the bleakest period, second only to the Civil War in American history. Right. During that, that horrible time, there was a lot of innovation. A lot of, a lot of new ideas came out of, uh, new ideas with economic value, commercial value came out of the Great Depression. And I think we're gonna see in the years to come that out of this out of this terrible pandemic and all of the economic and supply implications that it's had for manufacturing, we're gonna see some interesting um, technological innovations. We're gonna see some innovations in how supply chains function. We may, we may have supply systems that are interestingly different from what we've seen before. So, yeah, I mean, under the darkness, there are candles being lit that, that will take us to an, uh, an interesting period and, uh, and maybe a, a very exciting period. I'm, I don't discount that, but, but short term, no question about difficulty. Long term, I mean, we've been through so much. How could you not be long term optimistic, even if you're short term very concerned uh, about what's going on? I, I understand and I agree with you. And, and one of the things that uh, me personally feel as though that this pandemic is forever. It's just a question of the flu. We now need to go get our annual pandemic flu shot. Um, Probably. 
it's, uh, they're talking about it. Pfizer's talking about it over the last three, four days. Um, and, but that's okay. I don't mind it. I get my flu shot, my, my uh, uh, pneumonia shot. I get my shingle shot. I get my chicken pox shot. I'm getting all the shots. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still here. Look at how lucky we are, have, are to have those shots. What, what, what a miraculous thing it was to have those shots come out some, so quickly and to be able to, with all of our supply challenges, to be able to distribute them the way we, we, we in the US, we have a surplus, we have too much shot. We need, we need to, to worry about getting into other parts of the world. But I mean, the, the vaccinations themselves, the way they were quickly innovated, well, from in, innovated from, you know, on the shoulders of research that have been done for 16, 17 years, but innovated, turned into a product, produced and gotten out there. That itself should be a source of long-term optimism for manufacturing. To totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. We only have to consider uh, the other 27% who doesn't believe in it. Um, unfortunately, yes. So, you know, that's, uh, that, that's an issue. Um, you know, Europe uh, is going through their thing. Uh, they're shutting down a lot. France is having, you know, demonstrations in the street about that they don't want to be shut down. Germany is shutting down. I mean, there's about eight countries in, in Europe that say that's doing, you know, in my opinion, they're doing the right thing. Let's quarantine it and get rid of it. But uh, we need the we need the annual flu shot. And we'll all be okay. So Cliff, let me just talk about the supply system. And I would agree that that is a better term. Do you see the supply system being shortened, the chain being shortened, yeah. where it sourcing becomes more regional and we stop thinking about oh, we'll move it to this foreign country, save on labor, but we don't necessarily save on transportation raw materials out, transportation finished goods in. Uh, is regional a better answer? You know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go a bit against the grain in my answer, but I'll tell you what my thinking is. A lot of discussion about pulling, about pulling the horns of supply systems in, becoming more regional, less global. I think... Uh, oh, uh, the next couple of years are going to be unpredictable, but I think over the longer term, next 10 years, let's say, um, I think that's going to be more talk than action. I think I think when it comes right down to what we're going to stay, you know, we're going to stay engaged in the world with our supply systems. There's too much out there that can on net benefit U.S. manufacturers because the U.S. manufacturing um, it has its biggest comparative advantage in high in R and D intensive machinery, R and D intensive products uh, that are best produced in a supply system of, of, you know, 15, 16 countries, where each has an advantage in one part. That's the most efficient way to do it. It's the least cost way to do it. Um, it's the way that engages the world the most to do it. So people are going to talk about sure. I want to pull. I want to pull in my supply systems. We're gonna the world's changing. I'm gonna make it more regional. But I think when it comes down to pulling the trigger, particularly large global-facing manufacturers are going to realize the benefits of staying thoroughly in the world in terms of their supply system. That's my prediction. I would think that that's pretty accurate. Uh, you know, the other thing that we hear a lot more about now is what is no longer 
being called transitory inflation, yeah. inflation of concern. Uh, and my concern is, does that nip this expansion in the bud come Q3, Q4? That's a, that's a big concern. Yeah, and you're right about transitory. The difference between transitory inflation and inflation that is not trans, that is the, the difference between what I'll call transitory inflation and troublesome inflation. Transitory inflation had came when we had the the the, uh, the supply demand imbalance. Supply chains started becoming troubled, dip, creating shortages. Huge huge red hot demand for goods spurred by um, you know staying in the home, getting government checks, and that that sort of thing. That that was that could have been transitory inflation, but transitory inflation. Uh, morphed into troubling inflation. We let it when, when we let it become viral in the economy. When it became part of the psychology of economic activity, all of a sudden people start making spending decisions because oh, I've got to get that because it's going to be higher price next week. Oh, I, I really do have to give um, that new hire a, a higher you know uh, wage uh, a higher wage. So. When it starts be seeping into the psychology of everyday activity, it's, uh, consumer and business, it's no longer transitory. Now it's troublesome inflation. And the Fed has a hard job ahead of it <coughs> because troublesome inflation is hard to contain. It's a, it really is a genie that gets out of the bottle. And you know, Larry Summers made a, a very good point a couple of days ago. He said, it, there haven't been many times when we've had runaway inflation, troublesome inflation, that didn't end with a recession. I hope he's wrong this time, but I, I think his point needs to be heated. I, I would agree, and I'm just uh, interested in what the Fed is currently doing, trying to ramp back their uh, buying into uh, the economy uh, to uh, keep things heated up, and now looking at potentially three rate hikes in 2022. In my experience, what tends to happen is that the Fed reacts after the horses have left the barn. Yeah. Then they bolt the barn door shut, and the unfortunate end result is that things go south. That I, I, will, I will tell you, first of all, I will tell you that it just in my pure judgment, and it's a, I'm going to research to back it up, but my judgment is that three rate hikes is not going to be enough. Uh, you know, unless there are three very large rate hikes. I, mean, I assume when he says three rate hikes that he's talking about three quarter point rate hikes because that's sort of been the tradition of, uh, you know, a, rec a recent history from the Federal Reserve. But if that's the case, it's not enough to stem the, um, the inflation that we have. And um, I, I think, you know, if they do it with strong communication, and, the, and they get the markets to go along with them, they may slow the economy just enough to sort of pull back on some of this troublesome inflation without causing a recession, but it's dancing on the head of a pen. It's, it's, it's more likely than not that this inflation and the Federal Reserve's reaction to it um, is not necessarily gonna have the happiest ending. So I, I, I would say for the second half of 2022, I, I would I'd make the call that there's a non-zero and uh, a non-trivial probability of some sort of economic downturn, maybe short-lived, may not be um, particularly deep, but you have to can't discount the possibility with this kind of inflation 
and with a, a, a Federal Reserve that is dealing with some, not only, it is not only dealing with runaway inflation, but a, again, a continued difficult situation with the pandemic, that the possibility uh, exists, of, there, there's a non-zero possibility of another downturn late, I would call it late in 2022, unfortunately. I got to bring up what I've been hearing and reading and researching and so on, that there are two possible ends to the point that you just brought up. One is that things are going to go downhill and we're going to be facing a recession. The other story is things are going to go continue to go well and it's going to go into 2023 where things are still going forward and you know we're eating off of our backlog. So there are these two uh, scenarios. And uh, I usually choose the negative one, but I'm, I'm sort of choosing to go you know, more positive than usual. Bottom line is, uh, from what I'm seeing and from what I'm hearing from our particular marketplace, which is uh, heavy manufacturing, uh, the capital expenditures is going up, um, aerospace is going up. I mean, there's a lot of things going up that is moving forward into already the end of 2022, which gives pretty good billing for 2023. Mm, yeah. So who knows? I agree uh, that, that we have seen some, for more than a decade, uh, equipment spend, capital spend by businesses has been a weak point in uh, the U.S. economic picture. Now, there's been uh, lots of reasons for that. And it's uh, it's a direct concern to the capital-producing manufacturing sector, capital-producing U.S. domestic manufacturing sector. We have seen hints in the U.S. and actually around the world that there's, a, even through the darkness here, there's a little bit of revival of uh, capital spending. Now, I, I think we can square both the negative and the positive. The, neg the, neg the negative, the quote-unquote negative is, is the concerns of the short term. Well, while you're talking about uh, in terms of capital spending starting to become a, a more uh, consistent contributor to manufacturing growth and overall economic growth, let, let's, let's say we have that downturn in the uh, second, uh, latter in 2022, and you know, the 2023 doesn't start up so well. You recover from those things, they're cycles. And then when we recover, we might see that we are more supported in our long-term, past the cycle, manufacturing growth than we ever thought possible. I mean, this, you know, when the history is written of this horrible pandemic and its interaction with economic activity, the key word is gonna be adaptation. Adaptation is gonna be the word that describes this period in history. And of course, manufacturers live off of adaptation. Adapting is what they do. And they help the world to adapt uh, to changes. So even if I'm right, even if I, even if my general hunch of the possibility because of what the Fed is facing and the the difficult inflation that we're dealing with, that we're going to have some sort of a downturn late in 2022, early 2023, it recovers, and then if we have a we'll have a firmer footing for the longer term on uh, our manufacturing sector. And that, that's, when the, that's when the positive will really will manifest itself. So that'll introduce us into the next 36 month cycle of positive right. manufacturing. Correct. Uh, 
but we do have a problem and you and I have spoken about that and that is uh, the skill gap, your yep. employees, uh, not enough people, not enough people getting trained. Uh, we don't have enough immigration uh, that can feed our uh, uh, manufacturing base. Uh, these are these are all ancillary things that are on the side that really have a major impact yeah, on everything yeah. that you and I and Tim have just spoken about. That's the longer term concern. Demand, capital spending and innovation. There I'm, I'm excited for the, uh, the longer term. The longer term concern is human capital. Now the US and, and for that matter, most of the Western world is challenged. First of all, let's, let's deal with counts, some simple counts here. The US and most of the Western world is challenged by demographics. Aging populations, dropping fertility rates, dropping birth rates. And in the US, frankly, it's been dropping like a, uh, like a rock. And it's, that's a, a very big concern that, because that means that the, um, the percent going into the labor force and presenting themselves as uh, human capital for our manufacturers is going down. So just the body count is going down. And then, you know, we, we in the U, let's get back to the US, we do not train our people for the future very well. It's not, I, I hate to say it, we, we commit resources, but then we tend to waste them. We don't use them efficiently. We don't, we don't you know, they talk about public private partnerships. There have been very few good ones. Uh, it's something that we really need to think about and need to work about because, you know, one of the big concerns uh, about manufacturing right now, even apart from these short term, uh, you know, shocks that we are uh, immersed in, one of the big concerns is that labor productivity, output per hour of worker, which is the, 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 the essence of what we need for long term growth in manufacturing is weak. It's been weak since the financial crisis, the end of the financial crisis, 2010. And we can't just automate our way out of it. It's not just a matter of putting more te technology matters, but it's not just a matter of putting more technology. We need skilled labor. But the reason now there I have done and published research and skilled labor, labor with education matter, it matters as a driver, even if you hold constant strong technology as a driver of labor productivity. So that has to be attended to. And it's not going to do. And with demographics going the wrong way for everybody, it's not going to correct itself. We need a program and a forward-looking policy to get us the manufacturing workforce that we need to compete past, well past this period in history. Uh, do you have the link to that research paper that you did? Sure. You can I'd be happy to send it. Give our uh, audience. Uh, let, let, I tell you what, let me, it's, it's a publication, it, it's, I published it in the October 2016 edition of uh, Business Economics, which is the referee journal of the National Association for Business Economics. Um, it, to, uh, October of 2016, I will send you the link to that, that and uh, feel, please, uh, I hope you'll be able to send that to our audience. I will put it, we'll put it on our uh, uh, show screen and uh, I suggest everyone uh, to uh, download, take a look at it. You'll get even a, a closer look at what uh, uh, Cliff has been talking about and what the future holds. Well, Cliff, that particular subject is of interest to me because our educational system was really designed 
in the very early 1900s for a very early 1900s manufacturing system. Right. And frankly, the manufacturing system has changed dramatically. The educational system has not. Right. So correct. the new path is not going to save us. No, that, that, that is correct. I mean, we, we, first of all, we, uh, you know, we've had, many of us had, uh, the, in my years and years of interacting with manufacturing executives, uh, lunches, conferences, the one thing at least they, that they talk to at least me about more than anything else is human capital, more than taxes, more than regulation, more than country choices. It's human capital that they are uh, particularly concerned about. And um, I will also say on the other side of it is that um, manufacturers themselves, large and small, are every company is going to have to make its own investment. Now, in um, in train in really training its workforce, uh, you know, company ABC is going to have to have an ABC university for training uh, the the needs of its workforce uh, for its for whatever it does its position um, in the supply chain. That's a lot. You know, companies already have more than their share of things to worry about. To just operate profitably is is more than enough. And so I know that's a lot to put on them. But I think the reality is, is that they're going to have to make a very forward-looking, very um, specific investment in saying not not just you know, in, in not just lightly, but a heavy focused uh, workforce training. And the public sector is going to have to come in with some smart resources to complement that. The two of them together, I think, will thrust us forward in terms of our workforce. But Longer term, that is far and away the biggest concern for manufacturing. Let me ask you this, Cliff. Uh, being that uh, we're, we're coming close to the bottom of our show, uh, if you had to give me and our audience uh, five major bullet points that they need to focus on going through 22 into 23. Let us have your insight. Watch the pandemic because the pandemic will have economic um, implications. Uh, right now, it, it, it seems to be a bottomless pit of, of concern. But also, that's number one. Number two, but recognize that every, with every wave of the pandemic, we've, it's had a little less impact, uh, economically speaking, because we have adapted. Uh, number three, I would say that uh, the, the Federal Reserve's in a tough position. It has let, a, we have a, a runaway inflation, a dip, the worst inflation in almost four decades. And that usually doesn't end up having a happy end. So again, I will say that there is a non-zero, um, uh, you know, possibility of a recession. And it's a guess for late 2022, early 2023. Monetary policy works with long and variable lags as Milton Friedman taught us. But uh, number, here's bullet point number four. History has taught us even at the darkest times there are candles lit beneath the darkness in the form of innovation, new ways of thinking, new supply chains that are gonna, um, and even like hints of capital spending as we talked about coming more into the picture. That's a great thing for what the, uh, the US manufacturing domestic base has in terms of its comparative advantage. But the fifth point for the long term, the long term is not going to be as bright as I as we think it can be. 
unless we make a very, very deliberate effort to really invest in the manufacturing workforce that we need for a difficult world, for a competitive world. We don't have it now. We need to get it. That was my five. Uh, Cliff, I'm just curious. The infrastructure legislation mm -hmm. now coming on top of inflation, which certainly is going to drive a lot of purchasing, probably domestically in the U.S., certainly for steel, probably going to drive the, the need for labor, hiring labor, uh, increasing the wages of labor to get that infrastructure built. Is that going to exacerbate the inflation that's already uh, slightly out of control? I think it might exacerbate it a touch. Not enough to, to call it a significant inflation driver. Uh, that was a very good thing. That it, I was very happy to see it pass. The decade passed, that we needed an infrastructure bill. Um, and over the long term, it, it, uh, it will sort of expand capacity. It will smooth su supply lanes, roads, bridges, uh, our airports. I mean, I don't have to tell anybody who flies. Our air U.S. airports need you know, uh, an infrastructure shot. So it, the answer to the question is perhaps a little, but it's balanced very long term by... Um, it's the capacity to smooth supply chains and expand the supply functioning, supply capacity of manufacturing. Good piece of legislation, very much needed. I just want to go back to capital spending for a second. The Institute for Supply Management just came out with their semi-annual forecast, and they were rather bullish, or rather their respondents were rather bullish on capital spending, both in manufacturing and services. So right. it looks Apple spending will be more next year in most cases than this past year. I would tend to, I would tend to buy that. I, I, I do that. I, I don't think now on the face, just in terms of incentives and the fact that, you know, companies are preparing themselves for the long term future or are sort of see, sort of recapitalizing their thinking as, as, you know, and hopefully that, you know, the, the, what I'll loosely call the extension of the pandemic doesn't hurt that. So let, let's hurt that. that. Uh, unfortunately, even in spite of that, uh, you know, the high inflation, 40 year high inflation is a powerful force. And very when you're evaluating these things, you, and I talk about one factor, another factor, another, what, what you have to think about is what's going to overwhelm what? What's, what's the stronger uh, factor? What's the weaker factor? And the capital spending is certainly a very is a strong uh, positive factor, but for the short term, unfortunately, runaway inflation, which many business people have never seen before, right now in their careers, um, is is right now I think unfortunately going to overwhelm it just for the next year or so. Well, folks, you've heard it here: the end of twenty one. The beginning of 2022, which is looking sort of promising, and 23 is uh, promising with a question mark. And uh, Cliff, couldn't have done it without your input. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on today. And we appreciate all of you who are tuning in to Manufacturing Talk Radio, as you know, at jacketmediaco.com. We have an entire library of episodes that we have done, and you can search those by keyword to find things of interest to you. Some of that information is evergreen and still valid. Certainly this show content will be interesting in the first and second quarter of 2022. And I encourage you to stay 
engaged with Cliff's shows, Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman. He is the president of New World Economics, and he has been very insightful in his comments and his guests about what's happening with the economy. As always, Cliff, thanks for joining us. Thank happy you holiday. very much. Happy holidays to all. Yes, happy, hey, happy New Year, happy holidays to all. Happy New Year. It's just two days away, so that's really great. Uh, we'll we'll talk to you next year and uh, have a good one, Cliff. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.